Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Hey, yeah, well, we're today in our, uh, in our fifth week. We are five weeks deep now into our value series today. And uh, so if you're just here with us, then you're getting the right, you're getting the end of this. Uh, but you're getting a good one because we're looking at this idea today of grateful and uh, generous. But let me, just, uh, let me just step back and just recap a little. So in week one, now this is going to be a little bit of a test here as well, all right? Our f- our, we're going to put it up early so you get a little bit of a test. Our first value is that of... Jesus-centred, and we say that Jesus is the one that we follow, and the centre of who we are and all we do. In week two, our second value was that of authentic community. Well done, a little lower, but okay. We make room for anyone to find their home here. All right, a few weeks back, it was our third value... Yeah, come on. Some of you haven't got notes right near you as well, and so you can have a little cheat there for you to take with you if you need. But everyone living God's mission, we are all, every one of us, doesn't matter how old, how young, we are all invited by God to join his mission of making disciples and renewing the world. An easy one last week, all right, was what value our fourth one? Yeah, come on, adventurous faith. We live out an adventurous faith, uh, a spirit-led adventurous faith, trusting that God always has more for us. And I love that idea, that trusting that God always has more for us. And today, we're in our fifth value, that of grateful and generous. So it's okay if you didn't know that earlier when Mick said, what's our value today? Because we're just launching it uh, today. So that's okay. But afterwards, make sure you head out and get your scones and uh, jam and cream. If you have missed the last five weeks, I do want to encourage you to go to our podcast, go to our website and check it all um, out so that we can journey through this together. A.W. Tozer, he said this, he said, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. What do you think about when you think about God? Because Tozer saying it is the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Maybe you picture God to be uh, some type of a ruler, a CEO type figure somewhere in the somewhere up high uh, who's just demanding your loyalty. And maybe God to you is more like a coach of a of a sporting team uh, who has really high expectations and demands a, a lot uh, a lot from you. Maybe God is a bit distant and detached. He's someone who kind of uh, got this world kind of wound up and uh, now is kind of just uh, sitting uh, up in heaven or on the throne, wherever he may be, but the world is just kind of going on and there's no engagement or no involvement. Maybe that's your picture of God or maybe uh, you imagine him to be like a chatbot, uh, maybe like ChatGPT, who is always there with some inspiration and ideas when every other option is exhausted. What's your, what's your picture of God? What do you picture God to be? Because this is important. Across the whole sweep of Scripture, uh, some of the main themes that we see spoken about in terms of who God is and what God is like is that of being good, of being generous, and of being gracious. Have a look at what Psalm uh, 34 says. It says, open your mouth and taste, open your eyes and see how what? See how good God is. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. He's good to everyone. 
And then I love this, Psalm 1 here, you are good and you only do good. This is something that speaks to the person of who God is. In terms of the way we might say God is love, God, that is who he is. Yes, he has love, but he is love. Same here, this is what the psalmist is saying. God is good. That is who he is. Now, it's important that we just say something here, and that is that for some people, their circumstances are not good. For some people, their circumstances are not good, and that can cause people to question whether God is still good. And this might be you today. Maybe you are here today, and you are finding yourself in particular circumstances that aren't good, and there is doubts, there is questions around whether or not God is good. The circumstances of those in Turkey and Syria are not good. They are devastating, in fact. Some people's circumstances are not good, but God is good. And it's just important that we acknowledge this today. Really important we acknowledge this because even when it looks like only bad things are happening, when it looks like evil might be running a muck in the world, it doesn't actually change the fact that God is good and that God is working for good in the midst of a broken world because He is good. Because what defines God's goodness is not the goodness of our circumstances, but the goodness of God Himself. Psalm 119.68, you are good. You are good. Now, the Bible not only describes God as good, but also as a lavish and a generous host. Have you ever had that invitation by someone to a dinner or to a party or something, and they're inviting you around and, and they say, don't worry about bringing anything, but you get that sense, and I've got to bring something. So you either bring a drink or you listen to the ads and you bring some celebration chocolate, or you, uh, you bring something to contribute to the cheese board, but you walk in and you go, oh, I actually, they were right. I actually didn't need to bring anything at all. They have this covered. There's cheese boards over here with beautiful meats and cheeses. There's a drink section over here. There's food. You can see it all laid out. Everything is covered. There's nice lighting and music. It's just a wonderful environment. God's like that. God's like that. God's a generous host. He's got everything covered for you and I. Think about creation. Think about this. God didn't just create one star. He didn't just create one planet. He didn't just create one galaxy. He created billions, billions of them. Psalm 60, uh, 36 speaks about God's goodness, and it says this, Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. And he goes on, and he says, people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your rivers of delight for which you are the fountain of light. In you we see light. How wonderful is that? God is full of abundance. And then, I love it in the Message Bible, though. Peterson puts it this way, and he says, God's love is meteoric. His loyalty astronomic, his purpose titanic, his verdicts oceanic, yet in his largeness nothing is lost. Not a man, not a mouse slips through the cracks. How exquisite your love, O oh God. And he goes on. He says, how eager we are to run under your wings, to eat our fill at the banquet you spread. As you fill our tanks with Eden spring water, you're a fountain of cascading light, and you open up your eyes to our eyes to light. See, if you, have a, if you have a picture, maybe you're here today, this is some of your first time here, you're not really sure what God is like. You've had all sorts of pictures and what the God of the Bible is like. Let me tell you, he is good. 
and he is generous. This is how the Bible speaks about our God and who he is. God is also gracious towards us. Do you know that? God is full of grace towards you and I. John Tyson, he talks about God's grace like this. He says, we are all drenched in God's grace. We are drenched in God's grace. The ping off the bat as your child hits their first ball in a game, that is grace. Laughter from your partner in the other room as they do homework with the kids, that is also grace. Your favourite song hitting the playlist as the sun sets and you pull in the driveway, that is grace kindness from a co-worker where there has been a strain on the job, that is grace. Winter light over morning coffee, that is grace. Creation, providence, redemption, our lives are drenched in God's grace. Your life is drenched in God's grace. It's drenched in the grace of God. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians, he says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the what? To the riches of his grace, the riches of his grace, which he has sprinkled lightly upon us, which is lavished, he's lavished upon us. Church, we are recipients of God's grace, of his abundant goodness and his lavish generosity. And of course, where do we see that most? His greatest act of generosity and love and grace we see at the cross. We see that he gave himself. We are recipients of his richest grace, his abundant generosity, and his abundant goodness. And this should be enough for you and I to break out in praise and give God the greatest praise and thank offering that you can in your life. Come on! This is a chance for us to be grateful, right? This is what this is about. This is a chance to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. If that doesn't stir your spirit, that God is good, that God is full of generosity and full of grace towards you. You see, this is how the flow of this value works. This is how it works. It says, because of God's goodness and his grace, we respond with gratitude. And then that flows through into a spirit of generosity. So let's look first at this idea of gratitude. Did you know that there's actually a huge body of research out there of science, uh, on the science of gratitude and the positive impact it has in our lives? Uh, Robert Emmons, a professor in psychology, is also a Christian guy who has spent years studying gratitude and he's written a number of books and papers on this. This is what he says. He says, Grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotions such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness and optimism. And that the practice of gratitude as a discipline protects, how this, protects a person from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed and bitterness. Psalm 104 encourages you and I to be thankful people. He says, enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise, thank him, worship him. I wonder, how much does thank you feature in your prayers and in your life? How much does thank you feature in your prayer life and in your life in general? This is something God challenged me about a number of years back. He said, Dan, I, you need to be more grateful for the things that you actually have. And it was like a bit, of a bit of a gut punch, right? And so from there, I've tried now to spend a lot of time where my prayers are just very simple. It's just thank you, Lord. Thank you for today. Thank you for the weather. Thank you for Tommy. Thank you for Ellie. Thank you for our church. Thank you. Thank you. Let thank you kind of roll off of our, our lips and your prayer. It will change your life. Um, 13th century uh, Christian uh, mystic, uh, Meister Eckert, wrote this. He said, if the only prayer we ever prayed our whole life was thank you, 
that would be enough. That would be enough. How often do you say thank you? But thank you, of course, shouldn't only feature in our prayers, it should also feature in our thanks for one another and our gratitude for one another. When was the last time you went to someone and said, thank you for who you are, thank you for what you do? Have you greeted someone as they greeted you as they came into church today? Thank you. Children's ministry workers, thank you. Yesterday, we had a chance and we gathered here with all of those um, who were available to come, who serve on Team RBC, and it was an appreciation and a thank you day. Why did we do that? Because this matters to us. It matters to us as a church that we are people who say thank you. Who could you say thank you to? So if you weren't here yesterday... As part of that, not everyone was. There's all sorts of things and reasons why. But if you weren't here yesterday, I genuinely want to say thank you to you. Thank you for all you do to serve God here. Thank you for all you do. We appreciate it. We really, really do. Thank you. Now, you'd think that in light of God's goodness and grace towards us, that gratitude and thanks would just be something that would just flow from our lips. But it's amazing, isn't it, how quickly gratitude can be sucked from our hearts. You know this to be true. Just think of the curated ads that make us dissatisfied with what we have and cause us to long for something that we don't. It sucks the, it sucks the gratitude out of our hearts. It steals the gratitude. The other thing that steals our gratitude is entitlement, a sense where we are owed something or a sense that we are deserving of something. Have a look at this passage here in Luke 17, 12. Uh, this is a story of Jesus healing uh, uh, um, people. And uh, Let me just read the story. As he entered the village, ten men, all lepers, met him. That's met Jesus. They kept their distance but raised their voices calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. They went and while still on their way, became clean. And that's just amazing there. We could preach on that. One of them, when he realised that he was healed, turned around and came back shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet so grateful he couldn't thank him enough. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, were not ten healed? Where are the other nine? Church, I don't want you and your family, I don't want us collectively to take what Jesus has done for granted. We don't want to be like the nine who didn't return. We want to be like the one who returned, who comes back, shouts our gratitude at Jesus, kneels down and says, thank you for who you are and for all that you've done for me. I love what Eugene Peterson says, and he'd be sick of me saying this, but he says this, he says, we woke to a world that we didn't create and to a salvation that we didn't earn. We have so much to be grateful for. Last night when you went to sleep, hopefully you slept last night, you didn't keep this world spinning. You woke this morning to a world that you didn't create and a world that you didn't even continue. And we also woke to a salvation that we didn't earn. You see, you and I, we can't do anything to earn salvation. We are undeserving sinners, yet we are unconditionally loved children of God at the same time. And that is the beauty of the gospel. That's why thankfulness must always be on our lips as a church. Now, the Apostle Paul says it's similar uh, in 1 Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all 
circumstances. Now, let's be honest, again, similar to when we're thinking about the goodness of God, this can be a challenge for us, right? Let's just name that. This can, it's not always easy to give God thanks in all circumstances, right? Because some circumstances just, it doesn't seem that we can find any thanks. You know, we've just spoken to David about our story, but for seven years for Ellie and I and our infertility journey, it was pretty tricky to find days to actually, to shout and to raise a hallelujah in those times. But you know what? We had to learn to do that. We had to learn to raise a hallelujah even in those times when it seems dark. It's an important part of what we do and what is our call as followers of Jesus. See, there's certain things that we can not, we're not thankful for, but we can learn to be thankful in. Because gratitude is not ultimately, like the goodness of God, it's not ultimately something uh, that is based on our circumstances, it's based on who God is. And we can always give him praise for that. So just right where you are, take a moment. Just take a moment. What can you give God thanks for? Right where you are, just say thank you, Lord. Just put thank you on your lips. Just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for today. Thank you for this uh, time that we had. Thank you for our worship. Thank you for the person sitting next to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you see me. Even if what I'm going through is challenging right now, thank you that you see me. Thank you. So as a church, we respond to God's goodness with gratitude. And that gratitude leads to a spirit of generosity. A spirit of generosity. Now, when it comes to generosity, it's really important that we, uh, that we understand that there are generally two different scripts or stories out there uh, that we can live out of. Firstly, there is what's called the scarcity script. Uh, the scarcity script is dominated by the lie that there is not enough, that there is not enough, that God doesn't have enough for us, that God's holding out on me. This is, we first see this, of course, happen uh, in Genesis, uh, where we see uh, that Adam and Eve, they, they thought that God was holding out on them, There's, that God didn't have enough uh, for them, and that God can't be trusted. That's the scarcity strip, uh, script, that God can't be trusted. And once we're deceived into this scarcity mindset, we easily justify our need to take matters into our own hands and we start looking after self as opposed to someone else. Which, of course, leads to all kinds of problems. Then there's the abundant script. And this script believes that with God, there is enough. That with God, God has enough that God can be trusted. And so that we can be generous and can give generously to God and his church, the poor, or anyone in need. So I wonder, what script do you find yourself, be honest, what script do you often find yourself living out of? Is it a scarcity script that God can't be trusted, there's not enough? Or is it an abundant script that everything that God, ha that God has enough and that he can be trusted? Well, the place that we go to understand that God has enough because, of course, God invites us to live out of the abundant script, right? That's what we're called to live out of, is uh, to go to a passage in our Chronicles 1, uh, 29. This is David, and this is what David prays after the giving of gifts for the temple. He says this, he says, Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And can we read this together, these last couple of lines? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. 
Everything comes from him. Everything comes from him. David understood that. David knew that. David had settled this in his heart, that God is the one who owns everything, and that everything that David has has been something that has been entrusted to him by God. Now, this is tricky at times for type A type people who we think that we're the ones who achieve and accomplish and make things happen. This can be tricky, but it's important that we can understand that everything we have belongs to God. He owns it all. I wonder, have you settled that matter of ownership in your heart? Have you settled that God is the owner and the one who owns all things? Do you, do you really believe that with God there's enough and that he can be trusted? Now, I wanted to speak for a moment just into our giving here at RBC, just for a, just for a moment. So uh, this is particularly for those who he call um, RBC home. And what I want to firstly say to you is thank you Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, thank you for your generous giving into to God and into his ministry and mission here. You know, I believe that we are a generous people and we are a generous church. This is one of the reasons that we're financially generous and this is one of the reasons in particular why this value resonated with us and why it's become one of our, our values. Now, I know that church financial statements aren't the most riveting read uh, in the world. Uh, if you're a treasurer, they're exciting, right? If you're not a treasurer, they're not, also, they're not that exciting. But they're important because they tell us a story of God's faithfulness and God's goodness to us as a community. And so I want us to encourage us today with this and to give thanks because at the end of January, so we're seven months into our uh, financial year as a church, we are tracking basically to budget, which is amazing. We have a, our budget sits around 80000 a month. We're about 7% above last year. And so it's just really pleasing to see that we're tracking to budget. So thank you for your giving. Thank you for your generosity. This is pleasing. And I want to say uh, genuinely as your pastor, thank you. You see, God's ministry and mission here, it depends on our generosity. And this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Because here's the thing, it's good for you to know that our church needs us. It's good for us to know that our church needs us. It's good for you and your family to know that your church needs you. It's good for us to know that we have a responsibility. It's good for us to know that we have a chance to input and to invest into God's work and God's mission and see it move forward here. But as we think about growing in this value, growing in our financial generosity, I want to just highlight an area of challenge or opportunity that I see here um, at RBC. Now, for Ellie and I, uh, we choose to tithe uh, as a baseline for us. Uh, that me meaning that we choose to give uh, 10% or more uh, of what we earn to God. Now, we know, don't come and tell me afterwards, Dan, we're under, we're under grace, we're not under law. I, I get that, I understand all of that. I know a lot of the views around, around all of this, and it, to be honest, it can be very complicated. To be honest, uh, some people, uh, different theologians, think quite differently around uh, whether or not um, it should continue in the, in the New Testament, etc. But personally, I think, let's just keep this simple. We don't have to complicate uh, this so much. And personally, I think the best approach is to live grateful. Live continually aware of the goodness of God, his generosity towards us. And let us give generously and sacrificially. 
generously and sacrificially. See, a grateful heart will say, God has given me everything. How can I hold anything back from all that God has done for me? I think C.S. Lewis is helpful here. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, says the, um, the one before that one, uh, I do not believe we can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. And then uh, John Ortberg uh, writes this. He says, Tithing makes a bad ceiling, but an excellent floor. Tithing makes a bad ceiling, but an excellent floor. So personally, uh, I believe that 10% is a good floor or a good entry point into our giving to God. Also, as best as I can understand the Scriptures, tithing is something still encouraged as a most helpful practice in the New Testament. It's, not just, it's just not seen as the most important thing. Have a look at what Matthew 23, 23 says. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So there's a sense here that continue to practice um, tithing, uh, but don't neglect the former and important matters of justice, mercy and faithfulness. Now, in last year, as I was prepping for today, I went back and I looked at our NCLS survey that we did uh, last year and there was a question in there around patterns of financial giving. Uh, We had 268 responses, by the way, into this, which is a really good sample size across all of our uh, language uh, services and locations, so that's really good. But this is what the report showed. The report showed that just over one-third of us give about 10% or more. Just over one-third of us give about 10% or more, which means that just under two-thirds of us give under 10%. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel that this is an area of challenge for us as a church. I think as we grow further into this valley, I think, as I said, we are a generous church, but I think this is an area of challenge for us and a great opportunity for us to grow in this valley of discipleship and to our discipleship to Jesus. And so it might be that some of us need to take some time with God and just to prayerfully talk about this with God and, of course, if you're married or have a partner, do it with your partner as well, that's important. Um, Now, to be clear, here at RBC... We are not on about equal giving, okay? But we are on about equal devotion. We are on about equal devotion. What we are not wanting is we're not expecting everyone gives the same amount, but what we do want is for everyone who gives to give it from a place of devotion, a place of surrender and sacrifice for God. Now, I want to just encourage some of us today with this too, is that let's not wait Till we have a lot to start being financially generous. I hear a lot of people say, well, once I get a job or when I get that raise, then I will give. But here's the thing, you don't actually discover, and we don't discover generosity in abundance. We discover it in the little that we have. We discover it in giving away the little that we have. Young people, if you're here today, if you're a young person here, maybe you've got a job, maybe you haven't got one, or maybe you're just starting your first part-time job. Don't start honouring God and putting God first with your money when you get a job that's worth 80000 Start now. I'm so glad that I learnt that lesson early in my first job and was able to do that. Because what makes us think that we'll be generous when we have a lot if we aren't generous with the little that we have? You might think, but Dan, I only earn 80 bucks a week. What difference will $8, will $8 make? Well, let me tell you, it'll make a difference to you. It'll make a difference to you to your faith, 
It'll make a difference to your heart. It'll make a difference to your relationship with Jesus as you learn to trust him with everything that you have. That's where it'll make a difference. Now let me also just say on this too, that it's not lost on me that some are feeling the financial pinch at the moment. Okay, please hear me on that. I get that. I, I understand that, and so that's not lost on me. And so if that is you or your family and you need support, you need prayer, okay, then please, please reach out. There are ways that we can support. Uh, there are ways that we can help you and walk you through some things to help you get back on track as well. So please hear me on that. But can I just say this? With as much pastoral sensitivity as I can, even in times of financial challenge... And even in times of financial stress, honour God first. Honour God first with your money. You will never miss out by putting God first. You'll never miss out by putting God first. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul celebrates the generosity of the Macedonian churches despite the fact that they were facing a great trial. They honoured God first with what they had. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. You see, trusting him and needing to rely on him is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good place to be and God has ways of richly providing us with everything that we need. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you. Let us continue to grow in our generosity, particularly in our financial generosity, as we continue to trust God, be grateful for all that he's done for us and to know his goodness and grace. In a moment, the way we're going to close today is we're going to close with some worship today because that's how I want us to close is that sense of just being so grateful and thankful for, for who God is. But I just want to share one other final thing today is that when we think of this value of generosity and gratefulness, generosity speaks into more than simply being generous with our finances, right? That's not what it's just about. Generosity is actually a posture that should touch all areas of our lives. Have a look at what Paul says here in 1 Timothy. He says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So please don't hear me saying that this value is just all about financial giving. It's not. This is about living out a posture of generosity towards people. Maybe this looks like giving of our time to people, giving a listening ear to people, baking a cake for a neighbour, offering uh, someone a coffee, shouting somebody a coffee, being generous with your words of kindness and thankfulness, being generous with who you say thank you to. As you walk out here today, you are being a generous person if you say thank you to someone on the way out. Thank you. Look for things that you can say thank you to. Who can you show an act of generosity to today? This value also speaks into our desire to model a generous spirit and posture towards God and others. You see, if we're going to create authentic community here, then we're going to engage with people who think differently to us. Okay, we're a, a community with different languages, all sorts of different cultures here as well. We're going to engage with different um, people who are different to us. And also, you hold different views to the person sitting next to you, probably. And so it's important that we can hold generous posture in our conversations 
and with the people who think differently to us. As I said in week two, this doesn't mean that anything goes, but it does mean that we will hold our convictions with a humility and in a generous posture. As Peter, um, as Peter says, that we uh, set apart Christ as Lord, hold to our convictions, but how we talk about Jesus, we do it with gentleness and respect. That's a posture of generosity. At a recent pastor's conference, Brian Harris, he said this, I think it was last year uh, or the year before, he said this, the church is most beautiful when we create hospitable, hopeful, grateful and generous communities. Church, we are at our best. The church is most beautiful when we are creating communities of gratefulness, thankfulness to God and generosity to him and generosity to others. May we be a community that, in light of God's goodness and grace, live gratefully and generously. And as we do, here's the thing, as we do, this could actually be the best apologetic that we have to a watching and a needing world, right? Is our posture of generosity. Would you stand with me today? Maybe as we think about this, what's one thing that you could do this week to cultivate gratefulness and give generously to God or to others? What's one thing that you could do to do that? Well, as I said though, today I want us to close in worship. I want us to close with that posture of being grateful for who God is and all that God has done. And so we're going to come, we're going to lift our voices, we're going to lift our hearts, and we're just going to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the freedom that we can know in you. And we're just going to lift our praise to God. And so maybe right now where you are, Maybe you just want to put your hands up in the air or out in front of you. And would you just remind yourself of the goodness of God? Just thank him for his goodness. Oh, God, we thank you that you are good. And so, Holy Spirit, we just give you this next moment. Spirit of God, would you stir among us? Lord, we pray that even now there would be just this reminder of how good you really are. Fill us, Lord, with that sense that you are good and do only good. Help us to see more of the generosity that you have given to this world and to us. And Lord, we are so amazed by the riches of your grace. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just put thank you on your lips. Just say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So Spirit of God, have your way. Have your way. We give you today. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on the cross and we just, we just lift our voices in praise. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.